Welcome back to Living in the 60s. And Tom, today we're going to talk about the pro sports that came to Minnesota in the 60s. What a decade that saw the Twins, the Vikings, the North Stars, and even the Minnesota Muskies start Minnesota right here. Mu the Minnesota Muskies. That's I know. A, that's I know. a fish. I, I'm going to get to that. We're going to talk about the Muskies a little later, but... Anyway, all that happened in the 60s, which is interesting. So, Tom, I know you're saying the Muskies, and I, like I say, we'll get to that at the end of the podcast. Okay. Hey, Craig, the, the Twins started out in 61 and were formerly known as the Washington Senators. So they're not necessarily a brand new team, but they had a core of established players. In fact, this team was such a in good position that they went to the World Series in 1965, which, you know, it's not bad, only four years after I know, a team. I know, And we had talked about uh, the Twins going to the 65 World Series in an earlier podcast. And as I mentioned, I was able to go to the second game as my dad had won tickets through a lottery drawing wow. that the ten, Twins had for tickets. Since it was a day game during the middle of the week, I had to go into the school office <laughs> and sh show the assistant principal, Mr. Grunstead, a copy of the game ticket so he could verify that I was not leaving under false pretenses. They would, he would never think of oh, that. Oh, not, not with me. No. No. And I'll never forget, I was strutting down the halls of Carl Sandburg Jr. High about 9 a.m., walking out the door knowing I was headed to Metropolitan Stadium to watch the Twins play in the World Series. And they won that day, and Sandy Koufax was pitching. And before we had gone to the game a few days before, my mom had taken me to good old J.C. Penney's. Oh, yes. Remember J.C. Penney's? She bought me a Twins jacket. So, of course, I wore that to the game. I also brought my glove to the game. And, you know, Tom, I think back on uh, some of the big-time players that we got to see as the Twins were playing, especially in the 60s, Mickey Mantle, oh. Roger, Mar Roger Maris from the Yankees. And, and I don't know if you remember this, but there was a local player who played for the Yankees. He lived in Minneapolis. His name was Johnny Blanchard. Oh, he's a catcher, right? Right, Johnny Blanchard. He had a liquor store in Golden Valley. So when they were playing the Twins here in Minneapolis, he would have some of his team teammates come to the liquor store and sign autographs when the Yankees were in town. So my dad would take me there, and I got some autographs. I think I still have the baseball, but uh, I don't remember. I don't think they were very famous Yankees, but not worth a lot of money, but good memories of seeing all those Yankees. Well, and that was right next to the Red Owl store. You're right. Remember Red Owl? Right in yeah. Gold Valley Plaza. Yeah. You got it. But but let's say, Craig, I don't quite get this. You were 10 years old, and you were a kid <laughs> yeah. hanging around at a liquor store. <laughs> Explain okay. that one. It's not quite as bad as it sounds, and I, I know what you're getting at, but uh, it was just to see the, the uh, Yankees players, so... That was it. Yeah, that was oh, it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Say, I remember the school patrols had always had an offer to go to the Twins game in recognition of their deeds uh, during the, the year. Uh, the Twins did a really great job in appealing to the kids in the 60s. 
Uh, I remember back in 1965 when they were in the World Series, how we would catch day games in shop in industrial arts. That was that was really fun. Oh, Those yeah. were the great years. Were you a school patrol, by the way? I was a school patrol. So was yeah. I. Yeah. So and we got to go to the Twins yeah, games, yeah, right? it was great. It was yeah. fun. You know, I think uh, the Twins, when I think back on that era, it, it got us to start collecting baseball cards. But unfortunately, as the years progressed... I used most of those baseball cards to put on the spokes of my bike oh. with clothespins. You know, it would make that really cool noise, so it sounded really cool. That's it. Yep. And whatever baseball cards I did have that I didn't use on my bicycle, I think my mom decided they weren't worth keeping, so they are probably sitting in a dump somewhere. And I suppose you threw all your cards away, right? Well. Do you remember the podcast on toys? Yeah, you know, I remember I it very well. Said yeah. we keep everything in this house. Oh, we boy. haven't destroyed or gotten rid of it yet. Well, yeah. my mom kept my baseball cards for me. No way. And I'm so glad. I've got um, Sandy Koufax. I've got Mickey Mantle. I've got uh, Roger Maris. Uh, I remember the old post cereal baseball yeah, cards. Yeah, right. Believe it or not, those are even worth money today. The post cereal cards you cut them out they're cardboard and and that's that's was really my collection and fun so you have all those uh, baseball cards yep and you're sitting here doing a podcast with me when you could be in the bahamas counting all your money (laughs) what's what's wrong with that picture (laughs) i appreciate it though Well, I just had to figure it out. Say, say, I remember the old Mets stadium on a beautiful summer day. Remember that? Sitting in, I sat in the right field bleachers. And I mean, they were real bleachers. Right. The boards, straight boards, sitting down. And if you look down, you could see the ground. (laughs) And uh, I I had this, my favorite player was Bob Allison. On a beautiful sunny day, you couldn't beat it. And the lights on in the evening was just beautiful. How about listening to the radio? Remember this, Craig? On the big 830, Herb Carneal. Hi again, everybody. Yeah. (laughs) Ray Scott. And can you do a Halsey Hall? Holy cow! (laughs) We were all listening. Uh, On the Twins television in the 60s, the current Care 11, which was an independent station, which they also did the All-Star Wrestling. But that was WTCN. It carried the Twins broadcast with Frank Butel. I remember, and I didn't know that much about it, but I learned how to keep score on an official score pad. So you were one of those guys. I was. It was fun. I loved it. You know, I bought that popcorn that had the scoring thing on there. So I'd eat the popcorn and I'd keep track maybe of two innings and then that was it. Yeah. But some of those kids would keep score. Oh, man. Oh. Good for you, Tom. It was great. And you know the best part of the Mets uh, stadium, too, was bat day. <laughs> Do you remember that? (laughs) Well, now they don't give the regular size bats. But back then, they gave the big regular regular bats. So, And, of course, there was photo day when you can get to meet the the Twins players on the warning track and have a photo taken with your Twins favorite. Yeah. Uh, You know, speaking of warning tracks, do you know what that was? Oh, I I remember the warning track, yeah. You go out and... Yeah, all the way around. If they hit the ball, then... On the warning track, that would mean pretty close to a home run. But right. If they caught it, it was, it was great. Yep. yep. It was great. And you touched on some of the, the, Twins players. Bob Allison, of course, he was great. Harmon Killebrew. Oh. 
Earl Batty, Zoilo Versailles at shortstop, Vic Power at first base, Don Mincher at first, Tony Oliva, Rich Rollins over at third. Who can ever forget Cesar Tovar? Oh, and remember, he I think he played every position in one in one of the games. Uh, Jimmy Hall was another one that played the complete outfit. Uh, the 60s pitching staff was fantastic. Jim Cott, Jim Perry, Camilo Pasquale, Dave Boswell, Jim Mudcat Grant, Dean Chance, who threw two no-hitters in 67. Uh, Dick Stigman was also part of that rotation. And I liked it back when the starters could finish the game, and it was a true no-hitter. In other words, you pitched nine they pitched innings. You all. didn't have a mid-reliever. Oh, yeah. And uh, But we did have relief pitchers, Ray Moore. And he was called Old Blue. Oh, and he was he, he would come in literally and just shut him down. Al Worthington. He was great, great. And what about managers back in the 60s? Of course, Billy Martin and Sam Mealy was from 61 to 66. Oh, great guy, great yep. guy. And I say, Craig, do you remember when the relief pitchers came in to pitch? How did they get there? They don't run. They didn't walk. I, I don't remember this. There was a convertible from the bull, oh, bullpen yeah, that okay. came in. And the okay. car dealers wanted to show off their cards, cars, so they came in with the convertible. I remember uh, keeping the American and National League standings, too, with the team pennants on my bulletin board. How many games out they were and the, the whole work. So. You were quite a little accountant. <laughs> I'm impressed. It was fun. And what a great time to have the opportunity to see so many great ball players. Just great. And I bet our listeners have had some great memories too. So thank you, Minnesota Twins. Hey, Craig, tell us about the Vikings coming to Minnesota. All right, I will. Now, not only did the Twins come in 61, but the Vikings came to Minnesota. So we had a pro baseball team and a new pro football team all in the same year. The Vikings played their games outside at Metropolitan Stadium, which gave them a real advantage in November, December, <laughs> and January when some of the warm weather teams like the Rams would come to town. While everybody, you know, loved football in Minnesota, as a kid in the 60s, I really wasn't involved in Vikings mania as the Twins simply because the Vikings only played 14 games in a season. Half of those were home games. So I did not get to many games. The one that I do remember going to was one of the first ones. It was so cold. I had what was called bunny boots. <laughs> okay. And I kept drinking hot chocolate, and I just kept hoping, oh, I hope this game ends quickly. So how about you? Did you go to any games in the 60s? Oh, I did. 60s? And one of my most memorable games, you know how you spend time with your dad. One of my most memorable games is the old, old Met Cold, cold day. The Vikings were playing, and uh, we, we both had our snowmobile suits on. The oh, one, yeah. one-piece snowmobile suits, right. <laughs> and it right. was just a wonderful memory of going to a Vikings game with yep. your dad. Great. So, you know, perhaps no team in history has ever had more spectacular debut than the Minnesota Vikings. Their first game was September seventeenth in nineteen sixty-one. Rookie quarterback. 
Fran Tarkington made a once-in-a-generation debut when he came off the bench, I, I didn't realize this, to throw four touchdown passes wow. and run for a fifth score to lead the Vikings to a 37-13 thrashing of the fabled Chicago Bears. That was a huge upset, right? Yeah. Yep, yeah. And two and a half decades later, uh, in 1986, Tarkington became the first Viking ever to be elected to the Pro huh. Football Hall of Fame. Huh. First coach, Norm Van Brocklin, was the head coach. And then in 1967, Bud Grant took over as the coach. The teams played in Metropolitan Stadium with the games outdoors because the great season in 1969, the Vikings did make it to the first Super Bowl. And on January 11th, 1970, the Vikings lost to Kansas City 23-7 in Super Bowl IV at Tulane Stadium in New Orleans. Not only was the game the first Super Bowl in franchise history, but it was the first Super Bowl to be played in modern expan- by a modern expansion team. Uh, it had the Purple People Eaters, Carl Eller, oh, yeah. Larry that. Larson, Gary Larson, Jim Marshall, and Alan Page. And our quarterback was the wild man, Joe Cap. As of today, the Vikings have still been unable to win a Super Bowl in four appearances. Oh, well. Yeah. Let's talk about hockey yes. coming to the state of Minnesota, the state of hockey. So in 1967, the Minnesota North Stars came to us and became our pro hockey team. And we were always hearing about all the other hockey teams, mostly in the 60s. The Stanley Cup champions were from out of the country, meaning Toronto Maple Leafs and Montreal Canadiens. So it was either Montreal, Toronto, back and forth, and then in 67, 68, the Canadians again. But finally, in 69, the Boston Bruins took the, the cup. So anyway, we had hockey, and it was at what was called the Metropolitan Sports Center. So that was started in 1966. Franchise was announced in 66, first game in 67, and the Mets Sports Center, if you remember, was adjacent to Mets Stadium. Right. So the home of the Vikings and Twins was kind of on one side, and there sat the Mets Sports Center just to the north of it. And uh, it held 12,500. <laughs> and the first night, I, I can believe this, they squeezed in. 12,951. And at that time, it was one of the best arenas in the NHL. Boy, wait, remember. Hey, do you remember the multicolored I do. seats? I do. Huh? The Met Center was the first NHL team to display advertising as well on the rink boards, as well as uh, additional revenue that brought additional revenue that promoted both the arena and on television. The Met Sports Center was home to many concerts. The first in 1967 with Sergio Mendez, and the last in 92 with Frank Sinatra. Uh, Most tickets sold at the Met were when Dolly Parton and Kenny Rogers came into town in 86 with 17,822. The Met was demolished in 93, and the Stars then moved from then-owner Norm Green, and the Minnesota Wild came into town in 2000 with a new home, in St. Paul. And Tom, I'm sorry to say, as of uh, the recording of this podcast, Minnesota still does not have a Stanley Cup 
after 47 seasons. 26 <laughs> seasons of the North Stars and 21 seasons as the Minnesota Wild. But they still keep packing them in, I'll oh, say that. They sure do. All right, Tom, here we go. Do you remember pro basketball in Minnesota in the 60s? You're going to say the Lakers, and you're wrong. Because oh. the Minnesota Lakers moved from Minneapolis to Los Angeles before the start of the 61 season. So interestingly enough, sidebar, the team out in California is still called the Lakers today. But the Minnesota team that came to us in the ABA, it was American Basketball Association, came back in 1967. Wow. And they were called the Minnesota Muskies. Okay. There you go. So it was quick. It started and ended after one year. The team had played one season in Minnesota, and then they moved to Miami, and they became the Floridians. Okay. Now, the games were played in the Met Center that we just talked about, so they shared it with the uh, Minnesota North Stars. Wow. Wow. Craig, you know, I do remember uh, the franchise named as the Minnesota Muskies after a popular Minnesota game fish. That's okay. right. Yep, and several people. Have you ever have, caught a muskie? I have. I have not. I have not. Either. My next door neighbors caught several, but I haven't. <laughs> okay, I'm sure they're back in the lake. Uh, the team did put together a talented group of players. The muskies came out of the gate really quick with their superior talent. For the first few months of the ABA season, Minnesota and Indiana uh, staged a heated battle for first place in the Eastern Division. And after the first season, the Pacers faded. And the Eastern Division battle was between the Muskies and Connie Hawkins' Pittsburgh Pipers. I remember the Pittsburgh Pipers, I do, too. too. I remember the Pipers. The sure. Muskies defeated the uh, Kentucky Colonels in the first round of the playoffs, but succumbed to the eventual champion Pipers in the second round. Well, while Minnesota was generally successful on the court, they were terrible at the gate. Despite playing uh, in a beautiful, spacious arena, the Metropolitan Sports Center at the time, they had difficulty attracting fans. According to Basketball Weekly newspaper, the Muskies only managed to attract 100 Ouch. season ticket holders. <laughs> Ouch. The ABA record books say that the Muskies averaged 2,800 people per game. However, during the low season base the Muskies had to work with, that number was obviously padded. It's estimated the Muskies lost around $400,000 back then oh, in only one season. They were struggling. Yeah. So their second season, as I mentioned earlier, they had planned to play nine home games, and they were going to play them in different cities in Minnesota to help boost the attendance. A lucrative television contract was also in place. However, they decided to move the team. The promising new location was obviously somewhere warmer, the team became the Miami Floridians. Mel Daniels, Rookie of the Year in 67 and 68, was sold by the Muskies to the Pacers mm. in order to pay off debts. Interestingly enough, the Pittsburgh Pipers dared to take up with where the Muskies left off, and they moved to Minneapolis for ABA's second season. Wow. However, Minnesota was not left without an ABA team, as the league champion Pipers ironically came to Minnesota and did play through 68 and 69. But then they packed up 
<laughs> and they moved back to Pittsburgh after one season in Minnesota. The interest in pro basketball continued to percolate until the Minnesota Timberwolves were established back in 89. So, Tom, that is a look at how pro sports came to Minnesota in the 60s, which again proves to me this was definitely a great decade for us to grow up and be a part of the sports community here in Minnesota. Oh, that's so right, uh, Craig. Say, just an update. The Twins did win the 1987 and 91 World Series, but to the date, the Vikings have not won a a Super Bowl yet. Our pro hockey team has not won a Stanley Cup, and our pro basketball team has not won an NBA championship. However, we are hopeful. So, we want to thank everybody for listening to Living in the 60s. And if you have any comments or suggestions or future podcasts, please contact us at livinginthe60s at myyahoo.com. That's livinginthe60s at myyahoo.com. Great memories of everything. Take care. Tell us about it. All right.